And we're back. Uh, today, we're going to start talking a little bit about how to measure fitness. Yeah, how do you measure your fitness? Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. Yeah, so this conversation basically came from a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we were discussing some metrics that we've seen on the interwebs and some things that people post as standards or facts or things like that. And the question does come up, how do you measure fitness and really what needs measured? How do you know that you're in great shape, I guess? Yeah. So where this came from for me was I was browsing the internet and I was looking at some different strength coaches and trainers who had podcasts and YouTubes and social medias. And the gentleman, I didn't stick all the facts in my brain, but one stuck out to me that the, the gentleman said that like every male in that works under him under the age of like 20 to 45 needs to be able to do a passive hang for two minutes which i think that's a respectable hang i don't know if that's a requirement that every every person should be able to do or achieve but i was like damn that's a that's a juicy hang that's a juicy hang most people wouldn't make that watch at the stampede they make bank off of that yeah they even increased it so the stampede calgary stampede used to be like they had a 60 minute hang test they have these hang tests all over the world i've seen them yeah in LA it's like and the stuff. rotating yeah they have handle. like a little bar and you hang on it if you hang for 60 seconds you get like 100 bucks so regardless whether the bar bar rotates or it's like slippery or whatever you want to say a two minute hang to me is still pretty damn respectable that's big I actually did a two minute hang recently and it was a challenge. Like I had to actually close my eyes and focus and breathe a little bit to, to power through, you know, not bragging, but I think I could have made three. The, the time that I went over three was like uncomfortable. Yeah. Two, very uncomfortable. Two minutes wasn't like, I wasn't dying yet, but I was like, okay, this is work. Yeah. So it just, it felt a little extreme to me. So I wanted to chat about you know, how do you, how do you measure fitness? Like what, what do people need to do in this day and age? Well, I think that's a variable answer. I think it's fair to say that's variable. It is. Yeah. So like it depends on the person and what they live their life. Like mm-hmm. I have a friend that works for Lafarge that he has to do manual labor, like loading trains and stuff like this. Like he's got, he's got a bigger duty of care in some ways. Like he has a lot of stuff that he asks for from his body. Whereas the average, like I have another client that I train that's an IT guy. So they probably have a little bit different requirements, but yeah. Do you want to break this down maybe in a couple categories and again, we're just kind of spitballing. We didn't discuss this previously or do any stats or anything, but do you want to maybe break this down like cardiovascular, maybe some basic flexibility and then some basic strength? Sure. And I think so like, let's start with cardio then. Sure. You I would, I would don't like it, cardio. Well, it's not that I don't like it. it. I just think that the metrics of basic mobility impact people's day a little more. That's all. True. True. We could talk about mobility first. Sure. Let's start there. Okay. So what do you think? Like, let's keep it basic. Obviously we're not talking about every joint and every motion, but like, what are the important ones? Well, if you were, if you were to break things down into their kind of constituent parts and just say, well, here's some basic functions that people need. Um, I think the ability to grab your own foot is a big deal. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I, you wouldn't think about that. Yeah, well, uh, you hear about it pretty hard when somebody can't put on their socks anymore. Yeah, 
Can't put on their shoes. Or they struggle to like get the leg crisscrossed over to... The old crisscross applesauce shoe put on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. and that is something that you can tell that it is, it's a part of their day that's not easy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you wanted to say, what are the actual functions we need? Because breaking it down by joint is going to take a long time. Yeah, but just a couple things. If we were to say the ability to touch your foot, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that you should be able to get access to your foot. Uh, cutting your toenails and things like that require you access your feet reasonably comfortably. Yeah. The amount of people I've seen ages 20 to 30 who can't touch their toes. Well, you know, not touching your toes with straight legs is one thing, but not being able to touch your foot at all. Yeah. That, that is stifling. That's a challenge. Yeah. So I think that's one metric that you can talk about for sure. Um, the ability to reach your hands, like move your arms out of the anterior plane. So laterally, vertically, like those, those movements don't seem like they're that important until you're in a situation where you actually require that. Mm-hmm. So I've seen somebody dislocate their shoulder trying to do a dive on the diving board. Oof. Like, you know, there's, there's some basic things there that are like yows or yeah. if you can't reach overhead, you're going to tick off your lumbar. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, probably the third one that I'd throw out there would be, can you rotate your upper back? Mm-hmm. So rotating your upper back beyond 60 degrees would be one of those things that if you can't do that, you're likely going to have neck or lumbar pain or both. And your shoulders aren't going to function well because your upper back can't move anywhere. So, so yeah, we're not even talking about accomplishing tasks, but just like, well, I'm kind of the, the body here on you. Yeah. Bit. The body would like, if you can't rotate, it's going to cause other problems like pain, discomfort. You yeah. like, oh, I have low back pain. Because I have a bad back, so I wear this brace. It's my posture. Yeah, or it's my posture, it's, or it's this. I heard it 20 years ago, and it never was the same. But yeah, like to break it down to like the actual tasks, tasks required, you know, other than accessing your feet, you start talking about, can you rotate? Because there is, in life, there's a lot of times we have to rotate. And think about the distress you see people get in trying to get their seatbelt on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or like you see them, like their non-existent shoulder check because they can't really rotate very well. Yeah. Like... Things like that, that it actually does impact your life in more ways than just having that task be hard. Mm-hmm. So I'd say accessing your feet, the ability to rotate your upper body, and then uh, being able to reach freely um, overhead and beside your body. Like Those are three big ones that stand out to me. Do you have any in your head? Yeah, I'm thinking of like overhead reach. It's not something that people access often, but you could see how that if they're not able to access it, they will compensate, like you said, with the low back and then have problems there. And then they'll bring, blame the lower back like the low back is the one it's pain it's giving me pain so that's the problem that's but right. really it's just a symptom of a different issue located elsewhere yeah. so um well the yeah. amount of people that i see that they say something like i have a sore neck and it just ends up being that their shoulders and upper back just don't do anything mm-hmm. um you know you square that away and they're like wow man my neck it's like yeah you've been targeting your neck for ages but that problem was brought to you by something else yeah and Really, as a PT, it's outside of my scope to diagnose the actual muscle that's a problem. So I just look at, okay, what, what ranges should you be able to do? Like, you you can't do this range or this range or this range. Let's fix that. What happens? Boom. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of, if there's any, like, PTs listening to this, a lot of people will probably be like, oh, you should be able to squat. That always seemed to be one that always got put on the plate that I don't necessarily agree with 100% because, like, a pure ass-to-grass squat I don't think that people like that. The access to that is nice, 
but is it like something that you do every single day? Like, I think the average it, person uses something like 30 degrees of, of knee bent knee flexion per day. Yeah. Like getting out of their car and stuff. Yeah. Getting out of the car, sitting down in your chair, going to the toilet. That's not, none of that requires like a super, super deep squat. More than that though, it's really interesting because I would actually put the lunge above the squat as far as requirement myself. Mm -hmm. And like, if you hear me out on it, you're, you're about to have a baby soon. Yeah, baby. Four weeks. That's right. So when you watch your kid learn how to move, when you have the lens that you do watching movement all the time. I found it really interesting watching them figure out how to walk because first they had to, you know, do tummy time, learn how to extend their spine because they've been in fetal position, right? Mm -hmm. They do their tummy time, they learn how to extend whatever. And then all of a sudden you get to this point where you get them sitting and they can find the core control to sit. And that's the thing that they're doing at the time. And then they start wanting to move around on all fours a little bit more. And, and they'll like rolling is going to be the thing that they do even before sitting. They start rolling. And, you know, the first place that they do is front to back and then they roll back to front and then they're safe for a crib. But after they figure out they're rolling and then they're sitting, then it's time to start crawling and things like that. And after the crawling phase, you'll start, see them, start seeing them pull up on something. So they, they'll grab onto something and come up on their knees. And then invariably, they want to get onto their feet. And how do they do it? One leg at a time. Mm -hmm. They don't drop into an ass to grass squat. They lift one leg up and they do a little bit of a lunge to get up. So do like a samurai jump into their feet and then explode up. That's well, maybe I your do. child might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, when you look at it, I'm like, wow, man, the squat, even though they, you'll see them sit and play like that as they get a little older, that's not where it came from. It came from standing up with one leg, then the other. Yeah. To that point, like, you know, it's playful for me. Like I can go from lying down on my back and pop up like almost in instantaneously, okay, but like, yeah, like a ninja. But I train a lot of older folks as well. And those older folks, when you see them get up, they always kind of roll over and then switch into a lunge position and then lunge up to actually stand. So, you know, when we're talking about just generic, like health and fitness of somebody being able to, if you're on the ground, be able to get up off the ground, like that's, that's an important skill. Yeah. Like when we, if you were to get outside of the actual joint functions, which we will, like, I think that the two minute hang thing. Whether or not that's the right number doesn't really matter. Being able to hold your body weight for a period of time is actually a really good thing because grip strength is kind of the, the mother quality to, to general body strength. So yeah. we can kind of pivot and get into that range a little bit where it's like, what do you have to have the ability to do? Well, access your feet, get up off the floor, be able to rotate, to look around. How do you translate this to somebody though? Like, cause again, people don't, most most adults don't need to hang for anything in life there's no none of them hang like um like i do you know yeah we do a lot but yeah. oh, well let's let's translate it into this if you if you have the strength required to pick something up let's say it's a 100 pound bag let's say that it's yeah. a 100 pound bag bag of cement let's say that if you have the strength to pick it up but you don't have the grip strength to hold on to it can you truly pick that up no. The answer is no. So we call that a, a granddaddy or a mother quality. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's like this, this primary quality that you require. If you can't hold on to it, you can't lift it, which is why it kind of bothers me when people deadlift only with straps yeah. because your neurological system is telling you what you're set up to hold. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not talking about using it as a training tool because I have clients that 
um, we're training for powerlifting and we use those as a training tool and for pulling and Olympic lifting and whatever else. But just in general, if you don't do it without straps ever, or the person that has those little hook straps and they do like the pull downs with them, they do everything with them. It's like, well, we should be training our neurological system to handle the loads that we're going to give it. And that's not just the big movers. That's the small movers. Can you actually hold on to it? Yeah. So it's like a really important quality is that grip strength component. There's something to say too with like the grip strength, like actually squeezing the muscles in the hand, translating all the way up the chain, up to the shoulder for shoulder stability and goes beyond that, I'm sure. But well, this is why like you, even if you talk about like lateral raises with a strap on your wrist, Mm. that's been popularized a lot lately. And I don't do those with my clients because generally people will say, Oh, I feel them more. It's like, yeah, you feel them more because your shoulder's unstable because you're not using the lower arm the way that you need to. Mm -hmm. So yes, you feel them more, but is that a good thing? Like what, what is the reason for that sensation? Yeah. And so I don't really do them. I don't think that they're detrimental or anything. Some people would argue that they are, but for me, I'm just like, well, ideally, whatever you're going to move, you're going to be able to hold on to anyways. Yeah. So it's, it's fair, right? So a standard mobility measure for people is like, can you just... Get up off the floor. Can you get up off the floor? Can you you touch your your toes? Can you access your feet? And uh, we would say like healthy upper body rotation extension just for to keep that whole trunk stable and safe. Being able to move your arms would be the the last one. To stay injury free. And that's not an exhaustive list by any stretch. But if you run that through those four qualities, well, I I can actually get up off the floor really well. I can access my feet because I need to do that. I can rotate my upper body and I can reach pretty freely above me, beside me and things like that. That's a pretty fair space to start. And you could get really crazy with that and start talking about ease of accessing standing up from the floor. Um, It actually all cause mortality goes down as people's ability and ease to get off the floor goes up. Mm -hmm. So interesting stuff there, but that's more in the strength metrics. So being able to access those positions and do those things is kind of like the generic, like you you're not in terrible shape and then strengthen that is obviously just a different ball game. Yeah. Do you want to get there? Um, I want to talk about cardio just because again, okay. it's like a cardio. I'm not a cardio wizard by any means. If anyone's listening, I hate cardio, but I do it because I feel like I would like to access it if I need it. So if we're just talking about generic cardio, I'm not talking about like how quick your heart rate recovers or how fast you can sprint or anything like that. But I think it's valuable to be able to sprint if you need to access it. Yeah, well, man, it's a it's a very valuable thing to be able to ambulate. Mm-hmm. Ambulate. That's walking around, yeah. Yeah. So, w- so I'm not talking sprinting across a football field, but, you know, like maybe if you could sprint three house lengths if you need to or four house lengths if you need to and like kicking at top speed without destroying yourself, I think there's some value there. Um, whether everyone needs to do it, I don't know, but it's, I think it's valuable to access. If you talk about what the human frame was built on, we'd be talking about like ambulation, being able to walk and run. Mm -hmm. Um, we would talk about throwing likely. Um, we would talk about, you could talk about brachiating like, um, monkey bars and stuff like that. Cause that is something really valuable. Not so valuable anymore, I would argue. Yeah. Um, but somebody's ability to coordinate a run at a particular level would be a really good definition of how well they're doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So for me, not that we're trying to like lock any standard metrics down, but again, like I think being able to access a sprint for a short period burst being like 10 to 30 seconds, if you need to, I think is a, a value for you. If you're in the age frame of 20 to 50, let's say, um, 
and then like jogging for me, something that I'd like to be able to access myself. Is it like, like at least a 2k jog? Like I've jogged 5k and I've done 10ks before, but I can't see many situations in life where I would need to run 10k. It's a Swedish sport. Yeah. Jogging, jogging, uh, like even 5k. Like I can't see of any reason why it would be that detrimental to my life that for me to have to jog a 5k, but maybe a couple blocks might be some value. Well, yeah, we, we got to think about the basic things that people require. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd even say if somebody can get uh, 1K in and, and do it in a reasonable pace, I think that we're actually trending the right direction. But, you know, a proliferation in, in health and fitness is you got to be able to do X amount of cardio and whatever else. Cardio is very beneficial for heart health. There's a, a variety of metrics that are valuable with cardio. Um, but I think it's overdone as far as its value for body composition. Yeah. Like, and if you're going to use it for body composition, a lot of people that do it very effectively would be people preparing for the stage. And a lot of those people, they use it really heavily getting close to the stage to help, um, lean up for the last little bit. But you know, the rest of their time, um, throughout the year, it's, it's really not cardio dense. And I would say it's like, it's a different form of cardio as well. They're just trying to access certain heart rate ranges to burn off any excess they need to, where I'm talking more about like, if your son will was crossing the street with his headphones on and someone was coming for you to be able to run full tilt and grab them two house lengths away um like something like that <laughs> totally, like something yeah, that's yeah. real life or like you know we were talking about like baby baby in the swing or something and you know, like your superhero dad reflexes to be able to kick in and go and do something that's actually valuable in a yeah situation yeah i think where cardio comes in in a lot of places is just can I withstand the needs of my day? So we talk about these like one to two K distances. That's kind of a good measure to make sure that my body can, can take care of the circulation for that. Mm -hmm. But then also as, as far as an energy standpoint, like can you withstand 10,000 steps a day pretty comfortably? Yeah. That's another one. That's a standard one. That's totally, it's very standard and it's very reasonable. I think, Mm -hmm. um, again, when we talk about all cause mortality, as steps go up, that goes down. Yeah. So there was one study too that linked steps to depression. Was there not? Did you see that one? Yeah. Yeah. They've talked about like the general affect of people versus the amount of movement that they had done. Yeah. Because a person that's like battling depression might be a little bit more in bed or in a chair and just sitting down more and like less busy, less moving. Well, in the intensity that somebody can handle, like 20 minute bouts of around 70% heart rate or more, um, those are super valuable mentally speaking. Um, when, like, if you read spark, we've talked about that book before. Um, he talks about, um, the changes in brain derived neurotrophic factor, all of the major, um, neurotransmitters, hypertrophy of the hypothalamus and the frontal lobe. Like as far as somebody's mental health, if they aren't spending periods where they're challenging their heart rate above 70%, they're going to have a really hard time feeling the best they can feel. So I think there is some sort of, some sort of kind of measure that you want to be at that, you know, can I, can I hold a heart rate of this much for this long? Because I know it's, it makes me feel better, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that it's really good to talk about, can I withstand the day? Can I do a relatively intense, like one K or two K? Sure. Um, can I withstand a, a 20 minute bout of keeping my heart rate elevated? I think that's also really valuable. And that, that metric would be of course for the cardiovascular system, like your heart health and stuff, but even more so for, 
for the mental health aspect almost. Yeah. It's interesting too, not that we want to get into it on this conversation, but like the, the thought of, can I withstand the day or can I own the day? Like there was a book, my uh, Aubrey Marcus called own the day, but like own the day means to me, like you felt accomplished after the day and you still got more to give, like, and you kicked ass rather than the day kicked your ass. Yeah. Sliding, sliding into bed in a beat up fashion. We've all been there, but if that's every day, that's a tough go. Yeah. That should not be your every day rolling into bed, completely destroyed. And, uh, I think the way you get away from that is by building resilience and, uh, potentially like looking for more than what you need. Well, and we've seen a lot of data come out about how do you build happier people? It's not taking away challenges from them making them more resilient to challenges which is why i don't like the cupcake culture thing going on we're like well i'm i'm triggered by this i i can't handle that and whatever um i actually think that we need to be striving to be kind to people true i like that but there's also this other realm where it's like can i withstand the things i'm going to deal with in my life i'm going to train myself to be more resilient and that's not just physically that's mentally too yeah and there's there's been some really decent data on that talking about um general mood and people's ability to withstand discomfort yeah it's funny i've had conversations on things like that in life in regards to things like food or exercise where it's like you know does every meal need to be delicious and if every meal needs to be delicious like you're going to have a hell of a time trying to satisfy that need and you're going to be disappointed and you're probably going to be consuming a lot of food that's probably not the best for you as well that's not the best fuel so like does your food need to be delicious and does every day need to be a good day because it's like if you spent every day on the beach in hawaii doing nothing for six months, like without purpose or fulfillment or struggle or challenge. Like, you know, we, it kind of gets you soft. That was that cartoon Wally. Do you ever watch Wally with the kids? Yeah. Uh, what a weird show. If you guys haven't seen Wally, it was like a a little robot and the world was basically toast and everything was recycled and trash and the world was destroyed. And it was nonverbal. Uh, it was nonverbal. And then like at the end of the movie, the robot actually finds the humans who are living on a big ass spaceship, but they're all overweight and they're all in floating chairs with screens on like TVs attached to their, their everybody's chair. taken care of, but nobody's happy. They're a hundred percent taken care of, but everyone's just, yeah, like there's no, there's no overcoming challenges or no growth. There's just, you know, after like, if I had a long weekend, like after a three day weekend, I'm normally ready to go back to work. Yeah, well, I just came back from a summer where I had more rest and recovery than I've had since grade 10. Mm -hmm. And I forgot, A, how fast that makes time go. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. boom, fast. But I, I also, like, I felt really ready to get back to it. Mm -hmm. And I had a great time with my family. And it's actually hard to get back to it because I'm so used to spending time with my kids now. Mm -hmm. So getting back to it is challenging. But I, I really do think that when we, when we talk about this stuff... Here's some metrics to be able to live your life and be comfortable. Should we then try to shoot beyond that? Sure. And when I see coaches establishing metrics, I, I try not to crap on the metrics too much because give somebody something to shoot for. If they're shooting for something, the chance is that they're likely doing better than if they had no goal. Mm -hmm. You might not hit the bullseye every time, but you'll probably hit the dartboard if you're shooting at one. Yeah. Right? So I can really get behind that, but... This whole building resilience thing is what I see cardiovascular training as. And I know that's a little bit biased towards my experience. I'm more on the side of like Olympic lifting. I train power lifters and I've done a lot of bodybuilding. Like I, I know I'm biased on that, but for me, 
well, even in cardio in general, like when people hear the word cardio, they're probably thinking jogging, running, walking, elliptical, but cardio can just be in your resistance training. I have had my heart feel like it's beaten at 180 before just from lifting weights. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, do like a five sets of 10 squats at like 85% and you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, that wouldn't be a true 85 even. Ugh. Yeah. That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's same, it's the same concept. It's like, can I, can I have my lungs stand up to some sort of resilient task is, is what we're talking about. Yeah. But you know, getting into the third one, strength components, I really have a hard time when people say, well, you should be able to do this, that, and the other. And again, I know I'm biased. Like people say, oh, the average male can do this. It's like, man, that is such a weak measure. Like, oh, you can bench press your body weight. Okay, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't want to celebrate mediocrity, but at the same time, for somebody who can't bench their body weight, that's a big deal to work up and cross that line. So if we're establishing that as a metric, which I've seen coaches do, I'm fine with it. You're talking for a single? Yeah. And then I see people that are working towards a 1.5 times body weight squat. And for a lot of us, we've been able to do that our whole life. But I don't care about what other people have been able to do. So I really, I really think that things like that, they're giving somebody something to shoot for, but I think we can customize that a little better. Mm-hmm. Because how's it going to feel if you say the average dude can do their body weight and you're dealing with somebody who can't? Yeah, well, then that's why I like kind of why I want to have this conversation because when these guys were saying like a two minute passive hang, I'm like, damn, I know some people who can't even hang yet. And so, like, to say you got to hang for two minutes, it might not even seem possible. Like, they're never going to get there and then it can demoralize people. And yeah, well, and that coach might have a, a system for getting people to buy in and whatever. And we don't see all of those data. But really, when I first have somebody, it's like, okay, let's see if you can hang at all. And once they can, let's see if you can do 10 seconds. Okay, let's shoot for 20. Let's shoot for 30. Okay, I want you to work up to 45. Like, at the end of the day, training your body, it's very much like training your mind. You finish learning something. Does that mean you're done? Mm-hmm. Like, no. How much deeper do I need to learn that? Do I have other things I'm interested in? I'm practicing French right now. I'm, I've been practicing for like 220 days. And I'm trying to get fully fluent within two years. And that's my goal. My son's in French immersion. I want to be able to speak with him. Once I can say, well, I'm, I can carry on a conversation in French, I'm fluent in French, does that mean I'm done learning? No. And I think that more people need to look at fitness as this isn't something that ends. I'm going to see what the best I can do today is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see if I can beat what I did yesterday. Yeah. Because life is about progression. So. So talking about strength. You know, you said that like it should be customizable and variable person to person. Absolutely. But there's still all the studies out there that says you should be able to do this many push-ups. You should be able to do this much that, this much that. Like, is there anywhere we can go with that? Like talking about? Yeah. So you, you have a variety of data saying what the average person can do as far as push-ups, right? And I think it's something like maximum 22 push-ups for somebody who's 35 to 40 or something like this. I don't remember the exact data, but it for every age range, it's different and all this sort of stuff. But all of that data is going to be based on averages and where they're measuring it from. I don't know. Um, for me, if I have a client come in that was able to do two push-ups, I'm going to be talking to them about three or four. Yeah. Like average for your age range. It's nice to have metrics to be like, well, this is where we're going to strive to be on top of. Um, that's good. That's a good thing. But 
for most of the people that I deal with, when they're first coming in, they just want to get some sort of function back. So what I look at first with them is, how do they get off the floor? Because the people that can't do a lunge with their knee down, that's, that's first priority for me. Maybe this needs to be more of a conversation then because we're talking about these metrics. Maybe it needs to be more of a conversation about comparison because I think a lot of people would compare themselves to those metrics and either be debilitated by it or it might lift their ego up. Like, is either one good or bad? But like, how do people get away from this comparing themselves to things on Instagram and things on Facebook and TikTok and look at this wild person and this wild person doing this? And I don't think it's too challenging to have people identify things that they want to do. And, you know, I'm not talking about, I want to do a strict ring muscle up because that doesn't really change your life. If you're at that level, that's something that you can shoot for and be excited about. I get it. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying the average person that comes in that says, well, I've had these previous injuries and I just want to get active again. It's like, okay, so what are a few things that would be impactful for you? What's it like putting on your shoes? Well, it's kind of hard. Okay, cool. So let's work on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so just establishing, we used the dartboard thing earlier, establish a dartboard. What are you shooting for? So, okay. You don't, you don't know what you're capable of right now. Cool. So I tell you what, do a wall sit. Wall sits easy. Need no equipment. Perfect. And NASA uses that as a muscular endurance test anyways. It's like, okay, so sit and show me a wall sit. What can you do right now? This much. Okay. So I tell you what, next month I want you to do exactly five seconds more than that. You think you can manage that? For sure. Guess what they're likely going to do? They'll push for that five seconds. They'll probably do more than that. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. You established a metric. You went beyond the metric. It's doing its job. It gives you some sort of objective data where you're like, I'm able to do more now. Perfect. That's great. You don't, even if you don't have a trainer, you can establish a few basic things like that. You could do the same with a push-up hold. Just halfway down on the push-up and hold. Can't do halfway down. Cool. Do a quarter for now. And when, once you can do 30 seconds at a quarter, let's maybe move to a half. Like you don't even need to do reps. I, I think that establishing metrics for a lot of people is really important because they can say, here's where I was and here's where I am now. And people think in archetypes. They think of, of life in stories, which isn't always accurate, but like most people think of life in the form of a tragedy or a comedy or, or standard stories that they seem. They think of it in, in cadence of stories. So if you, if you get somebody thinking about like, well, I was here and now I'm here, guess what sort of emotions they're going to have about that? Mm -hmm. So I actually think it's a little bit less impactful on what the metrics are and more impactful that they are checked up on every now and then. So the summary of this episode is don't worry about all the BS metrics that you see out there and let's start with where you're at and push forward. And then you can look back at yourself six months ago and be like, damn. Look how far I came. If you can establish things that mean something to you and show yourself how you're able to move forward, that builds self-efficacy. As you believe that you're capable of confronting challenges, uh, many possibilities open up in the world. A lot of people, if they understood what they were capable of a little bit better, um, the things that they could accomplish would blow their minds. They're, the opportunities are infinite. True facts. So... We have enough of the online space trying to compare ourselves to what somebody else is doing today and just the look of what somebody might be doing, not what they're actually doing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that we need more of that. I think that it would be a really beneficial thing to establish, here's where I'm at, I want to be better than that. Let's focus on that. What do you feel? You think that's reasonable? 
Yeah, I think that's a good summary. A little, uh, nice little tidy, put a bow on it. Beautiful. Well, if you're here with us, thanks for joining. Uh, definitely toss us a little bit of a like or a follow or throw on your alerts on YouTube. Um, but we really appreciate you being here. It was a, a little hiatus and we're happy to be back. Yes, sir. Adios. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.